Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter three, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. We will be in some, some uh, passages in uh, 1 Corinthians, as well as in Acts 7, if you want to get ready there, I'm going to want you to read along with me uh, with those. But uh, Philippians chapter 3, we are coming to the end of what everyone has called an unprecedented year. There has never been a year that, that we know of in our lifetime that has been like the year we've all just lived through. There's And, and nothing is the way it used to be. Nothing's the same. Uh, can any one of you here honestly say that 2020 was the best year of your life? No. And if anyone raised their hand, I'd call them a liar. 2020 has, has been, of course, a unique year. It's been uh, an odd year, but it's also been a hard year. The, the entire world, of course, has suffered through uh, COVID-19 and the changes that that has brought to every aspect of our life with the, the changes and the restrictions that it has put on us. The, the way we do everything has changed. The way we shop has changed, which to me, honestly, I don't mind. I, I hate shopping anyway. So to me, to have someone deliver the groceries to my house or to put them in my car for me without me having to actually talk to them is, is great. As, as a pastor, uh, it's odd. I don't really like people that much that I don't know. And so I'm very antisocial and, and, and anxious around people. And so if someone can just drop me groceries and not talk to me, man, it's awesome for me. I love that. But some of you, you like to shop, I like going to the grocery store and talking to people. And now you still can go, but you can't talk to them because you're talking to a mask and you can't understand anybody. And you're, you know, the cashier is behind bulletproof glass almost. And so the way we, we shop has changed. The way we eat at restaurants has changed. You, restaurants, of course, are at half capacity. You've got to wait around forever to get in there, and then you have to wear a mask as you go to your seat or if you go to the bathroom because you can only catch COVID if you're standing up. Once you're sitting down in your seat, it's, it's fine. But the way we eat at restaurants has changed. The way we teach our children has changed, and not for the better. Uh, you know, with, with distance learning, I was reading a report the other day that uh, the test scores of children this year have dropped drastically because of, of just distance learning. They're not getting the right ed the education they used to. The way we celebrate holidays has changed. A lot of us, you know, we usually have big Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrations and, you know, spend time with a bunch of family and we're all crowded together in a house and laughing and joking and playing and eating together. And that's, that's been different. You're having just small Thanksgiving meals together or not going to visit uh, kids or grandkids for Christmas this year. Just everything has changed. Even the way we worship God has changed. Uh, last October, October 2019, uh, the church staff went on a weekend trip to plan the church calendar for 2020. And we spent two days planning all kinds of stuff, 
fall festivals, special Sundays, revivals, camps, all kinds of, man, we had a great year planned out. We got to do none of it. Everything got canceled. Revivals got canceled. Camps got canceled. Uh, special Sundays got canceled. The fall festival got canceled. Everything was changed. We even had to shut down for a few months and go completely virtual in our worship service. We, we had to say goodbye to some, some really good people this year who went to be home with the Lord. Honestly, and I can say this as a pastor, this has been the hardest year of my life to pastor a church. Because how do you, how do you pastor virtually? I know you can give, you know, sermons and the Word of God and devotions and stuff like that, but you, we need fellowship. It's hard when you get a phone call that one of your church members is in the hospital and you can't go visit them. You can't really do anything for them. I've had church members go into surgery that normally I would meet them at the hospital the morning of their surgery and I'd sit with their families and I'd pray with them before they went back and I'd wait with their families to make sure everything went good. And, you know, I just, I, I, I really didn't do anything. It's not like I was in the operating room telling the surgeon what to do, but I was just being there. But now, I can't be there. I can't do anything. I can't visit folks when they're sick. I can't visit our shut-ins. I can't, it's, it's been a hard year to try to figure out how to adequately pastor in this new culture. Now, it hasn't been all bad. I was looking back through uh, our Facebook this year, and we've had several baptisms this year. Several people come to the Lord and, and follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Our fall festival, we had several hundred, if not a thousand or more people come through for our fall festival. And yeah, they got candy, but every one of them got a gospel tract and every one of them got invited to the church. We, we have been able to minister to more people than ever this year through our Samaritan closet and our, our uh, community cupboard. And just we've, we've been able to do some things, but it's just it's a lot different. And a lot of you have had personal struggles this year, some of them associated with COVID-19, some of them not, some of them just because life's hard sometimes. But when you have just regular life problems piled on top of the world's completely different problems, it makes those problems even worse. So maybe you've had sickness come to your, you or your family, not COVID maybe, but some other type of sickness, cancer or, or disease or something else has hit your family that has made this year hard. Maybe you've had financial struggles come to your family. Maybe you've lost a job or you've had relationship struggles this year. Most parents this year are struggling liking their children because they got to be with them all the time. We're used to sending our kids off to the teacher and let the teacher deal with them kids for, for, for six, seven hours a day. And then we like our kids, but now we're the teacher. We're with them all the time. And we realize, you know what? Those teachers need a raise because they got to deal with these kids every single day. And so it's, it's just been hard. But this terrible, horrible, unprecedented year is coming to a close. So now what? What does 2021 hold for us? Are we going to wake up January 1st, 2021, and the whole world's better? I don't know, but I doubt it. 
Is 2021 going to be the best year we've ever seen in, in hundreds of years and just everything kind of turn around and we have a wonderful, great year? I don't know, but I, I don't think so. I don't know what 2021 is going to hold. I wish I did. I wish I could tell you this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work out. This is how God's going to do something. But I can't. I have no idea what next year holds. And that's, that's hard for me because this is a time of year where I lay out a vision that God has given me for our church. And that vision usually includes some new ministries, some, some outreach programs, some goals we're going to reach, but I don't even know what church is going to look like in four or five months. So how can we plan for something? I mean, look, we learned last year, you man plans and God laughs at you. We had all kinds of plans last year, and God's just up in heaven going, <laughs> yeah, you do that. You, you think that's going to happen. Great. And so now I'm like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know where God wants me to, to give the vision for the church this year. Now, I've been praying and asking God to give me the vision that he wants me to give to the church. And he did give me one. It's not the one he, like the ones he normally gives. There's no new ministries, like I said. There's no new outreach programs because we don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the future holds, not just for our church, but for Christianity as a whole. I think the way we do church has changed forever. And I don't know what it's going to look like in a couple years. And we're going to have to adapt to that. We're going to have to figure out how we can continue to minister, continue to serve, because we still have to. We're still here. There's still lost people in the world that need to hear the gospel. There's still missionaries that need to get on the mission field and serve God and where God wants them to be. There's still, you know, families in our area that need to be discipled and, and reach for Christ. There's still a work to do, so we can't just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, we'll figure it out later. We still have something to do. So we still have to know what God wants for us to do. So as we close out 2020 and get ready for whatever God has for us next year, I want to give the vision that God has given to me. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is, is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's, he's writing from prison. This is one of his prison epistles. The church at Philippi was one of the first churches he started back in Acts chapter 17. He starts the church at Philippi, and he ministers there and gets it going, and he leaves, but he still stays in contact with them, and they had sent Epaphroditus to him to minister to him while he's in prison, and they brought a, a love gift to him, some food and some, some money for him while he's in prison, and so when Epaphroditus gets there with this, this love gift, Paul kind of writes a thank you note back to them like every good southern person does. You write a thank you note for whatever. And so he's writing a thank you note for him. And he's, he's kind of trying to encourage them because they're going through persecution. They're going through difficulty too. But even in their difficult time and their persecution, they still thought enough to reach out to him and try to be a blessing to him. So now he's trying to be a blessing back to them. And he's writing back to the church at Philippi. And one of the biggest, uh, in the middle of this chapter, he starts talking about some of the problems that he has faced while serving Christ. Now, one of the biggest problems Paul ever dealt with was the Judaizers. 
the Judaizers were converted Jews. They had converted to Christianity, but they believed that if the Gentiles wanted to be saved, they had to first obey the law, and then they could be saved. Now, some of them thought, well, they can be saved by grace through faith, but once they're saved, then they got to obey the law. Most of the laws was like, with well, the law of circumcision and, and offerings and things like that. And so Paul was constantly battling these Judaizers about legalism and grace and all kinds of things. They would always bring up his past and kind of show him, try to tell him that he wasn't worthy to, to even talk about these sort of things. And so that's one of the, the main struggles that he dealt with. And look what he says about himself. This is how he describes his walk with God in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So Paul, he starts off and says, look, here is, here's where I'm at in my walk with God. I've gladly given up everything just to know Jesus. Everything in my life that I gladly gave up, I count it but dung. Look, I don't got to go to the Greek to tell you what dung means, but I will. It means disgusting, detestable, worthless. It literally means dung, but it's not like just manure because manure has some value right? You can plant some, a garden and use some manure and, and it grows some, grow, some good tomatoes and stuff. So manure's got some value to it. It's not worthless. This is, it's not really just manure. It's just, it's disgusting, unusable, putrid waste. And he says, everything in my life is like that compared to knowing Jesus, compared to what I have with Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 9. And I found him, and I found, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection. Of the dead. Now, look, that's a great passage of scripture, but it makes me feel about that big in my relationship with God. Because here's Paul. Paul came from a pretty good background. He had money, he had power, he had prestige, he had a authority, he was a wealthy, influential man, and now he's in prison. He's poor, he's had to make tents to kind of support himself on the mission field. He's, he's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been ridiculed. He's been rejected. He has lost everything in his pursuit to have a relationship with Jesus. And he says, everything I lost was filth and worth it if I could just know Jesus better. He doesn't say Jesus is primary in my life and everything else is secondary. He says everything in my life. And do you understand what that word everything means? My health is dung. 
I will gladly give up my health if I can know Jesus better. My freedom is putrid. I will gladly give it up if I can just know Jesus more. So let's put that in our perspective. Your wife, your husband, they're not, it's God, my husband, or God, my wife. It's compared to knowing Jesus, my spouse's is dung. And I would gladly give them up to know him more. My kids, I would gladly step away from them and reject them and consider them filth if I could just know Jesus more. Can we really honestly say that? I know we want to. We want to say, man, God's, God's my top priority. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, hey, here's where I'm at with my walk with God. God's number one, and everything else kind of falls belief. He says, no, no, no. I gladly and willingly and eagerly give up everything, my health, my freedom, my possessions, my friends, my family. I will get rid of them and consider them filth if I can just know Jesus a little bit more. I'm not there. I don't think any of us are there. I don't think any of us can honestly say everything in my life is dung and I'm going to gladly get rid of it or gladly get, leave it alone just so I can know Jesus. Just so I can spend a little bit more time with him in prayer and in my Bible. I can't comprehend living that way. I fall short, and you do too. If we're honest, there's a lot of things in our lives that we value more than knowing Jesus. We wouldn't say it, but the way we live our life says that there are things in our lives that we value more than spending time with God. And if we're on, they're not even really that great of things. I'm not saying you value your kids. Because look, I can't comprehend looking at my children and saying, God said if I would just never see, reject you and get you out of my house, I'll know him more. So you're dung to me. See you later. I, would, I can't comprehend that. Sometimes I want to kick him out of my house, but not to know Jesus more, just to get some peace and quiet. And so it's not even valuable things. It's like, oh, instead of spending time reading my Bible or praying, I'm going to watch some more Netflix. I'm going to spend more time on, on Facebook. Now look, I'm there. I'm right there with you. Man, it's, it's been a hard day, been a hard week, been a hard year. I need Jesus, but you know what I really want to do? I want to eat some donuts and, and watch some TV and just forget about it. And that's how we live our life. We can't comprehend how Paul talks about these things. I can't say that. I'd like to be able to, but I, but I just can't. But Paul gives us some hope in verse number 12. So look at verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I'm going to let you know what he just said there. He just got finished saying, 
Here's where I am in my walk with God. I'm, I've gladly gave up my freedom. I gladly gave up my family. I gladly give up my health. I, glad, I gladly give up everything and consider it filth and garbage just so I can know Jesus more. Then in verse 12, he says, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. So what he really said is, here's why I want to be in my walk with God, but I'm not there yet. I'm trying. I want to be there. I want to be where God is everything to me, and I don't need anything else. That's where I want to be, but man, I'm just, I'm not there yet. I want to be, but I haven't gotten there yet. Paul is saying that he wants to know Christ more. He wants to be known by him more. He wants to do more for him, but he's not quite there yet. And to me, as I'm reading this, I think, Paul wants to do more? I mean, this is Paul, the guy who wrote over half the New Testament. This is Paul, the guy who was stoned, I believe, to death and said he went to the third heaven. We don't even know what the third heaven is, but Paul went there. This is Paul who audibly heard Jesus speak saying, I just, I don't know him as much as I want to. I haven't done as much for him as I would like to. The greatest New Testament missionary the world has ever known wants to know Jesus more. Paul has a holy discontentment about him. And that's what I want this year. Our, what God says, my, our, what God has given me a vision for me, and I believe as a church this year, is I think we need to know God more. We need to have the desire that Paul has to say, if he asks me, if it's required of me, if it's even suggested to me by God, I will gladly give up everything just to know him a little bit more. I'll give up my freedom. I'll give up my, my whatever for him. But he's not going to ask that of us. He may ask us to give up some, some entertainment time. But we need to have a holy discontentment where we just say, I would give anything just to be in his presence a little bit longer just to hear his word a little bit more, just to know him a little bit deeper, just to do a little bit more for him, I would give up anything. Paul is a man who is closer to Jesus than any of us have ever been, has said, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm trying. I'm trying to be closer to God. I'm trying to be strong in my walk with God. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So he just said, this is where I want to be. I'm not there, but I'm trying. I want to be there. I'm not quite there, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. And then in verse 13, he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended again. He says, I haven't gotten there. I'm not where I want to be. But this one thing I do. He says one thing, then he gives two things. You know, he's a pastor. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. 
That word perfect means mature. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Now, here's, here's where I want to spend the most of my time. Here's where I think the vision that God has given me for, for myself specifically, but also for the church this year. None of us are where we want to be in our relationship with Jesus. That's, what, that's how we should feel. None of us, you should feel right now, as a child of God, I don't care how good your walk with God is, you're not as good as Paul. But as a child of God, we should be saying, I am not where I want to be in my walk with God. I am not where I want to be in my relationship with God. And you should feel that way until you are actually with God. When you close your eyes in death and open them on the other side of heaven, you can say, okay, I'm, I'm where I want to be when I walk with God. I'm good now because he's right there and I can fellowship with him and praise him and worship and all this stuff. But until that moment, we should say, I am not where I want to be and continue to try to get closer and closer to God. Now this year has been hard on all of us in one way or another. It's been, it's been hard on me spiritually. I'm going to be honest with you. It's been a hard year in my walk with God. Because the year started out and we had to shut down and COVID happened and churches were closing. But honestly, when that all started, I was, I was excited. I was closer to my walk with God than I'd been in a long time. And I thought, man, God, you're going to do something great here. You're gonna, I know it's hard now. I know it stinks now. But God, woo, you're going to do something awesome. Revival's coming. It's going to be great. And I was praying towards that and waiting for that and praying for that and waiting for that and waiting for that and waiting for that. I'm still waiting for that because we're still in this mess. But uh, as things kept going, things kept getting worse. We've dealt with problems in the church resulting, resulting from ministering to a flock virtually. I've had personal issues this year that I've had to deal with and struggle with. I went through a pretty serious time of depression this year. And if I'm going to be honest, I, I gave up on God for a while. Because I felt like he gave up on us. So I thought, well, I don't know what God's doing, but I'm tired of waiting around for it. I grew cold on him because I didn't know what he was doing. And I was having to endure. But I was tired of waiting. But God has more for me. Our church has taken some hits this year, but God has more for our church. Because we're here. We're still going. We're still ministering to people. We're still helping people. And so God has more for us. God wants us to continue to push forward for him this year. So we're going to look at what Paul said. Because again, remember, Paul's in prison. He said, man, I want to be where I'm willing to give up everything for God and count everything worthless and dung, and I'd gladly give up, just forget everything just to be with him. I want to be there, but I'm not there. But here's the one thing, which is two things, I'm going to do to make sure I continue going there. 
Not to say he gets it. Paul doesn't say, if you do these two things, poof, you'll be magically spiritual and the greatest Christian in the world. No, Paul says, if you do these, this one, two things, you'll at least keep going there. You'll continue striving to be closer to God. Striving to do more for God. So, Here's the two things Paul says he has to do to become the man that God wants him to be. Number one, he says, forget about what is behind you. Looking at verse number 13. Brethren, count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. There are things in every one of our lives that we wish we had never done. Your thing may be more, maybe worse than my thing. I doubt it because I know my things. A lot of them. But we've all got things in our past, maybe things we got involved in, things we said, people we got involved with, relationships we had, whatever it is. We have things in our life that we wish we hadn't have done, and these things hurt our relationship with God. Not because God holds them against us, because we hold them against us. We look at our life and say, there's no way God could use me because of that. There's no way God could love me because of that thing I did back there. There's no way I can, I can try to get close to God, but he's never going to let me get that close because I've got that thing that I did back then that he's going to hold against me. God doesn't hold it against us. We hold it against ourselves. Now, Paul knew this better than anyone. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. In this chapter, the church is enjoying, honestly, the most successful and the most peaceful time in its history. It doesn't last long, but for a couple months, they had just incredible peace and freedom. The church was exploding. They were going out to Jerusalem, and just every single day, thousands of people are getting saved and baptized, and there's preaching in the synagogues, and they're preaching on the street corners, and they're preaching everywhere, and people are loving it, and people are excited, and man, it's a great time. One day... A guy named Stephen goes out, and he does what everyone else has been doing for a while. He starts preaching the gospel. But things go terribly wrong. They go violently wrong. Look at Acts chapter 7. Look at verse number 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. I've, I've preached some sermons that people didn't receive well. I've never preached a sermon where people started biting me because of it. I mean, that's, that's a bad sermon right there. When you're done preaching, people are like, Arr! you know, that's, that's rough. And so they start gnashing on him with their teeth. Uh, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And, the, and look, during this time when they stoned you, they didn't just, you know, pelt some pebbles at you. They pounded you with rocks and literally buried you with rocks until you were dead. It wasn't just a... You know, me and my brothers, when we were kids, we used to have rock fights. Anybody ever have rock fights? We used to have walnut fights, too. Oh, we're the only dumb ones. Liars. We'd have rock fights, and I remember one time my brother, he, he got hit in the head with, a, I think it was a walnut, and man, blood just, we thought, oh, we killed him. So we ran and hid. He went home. My mom rushed him to the hospital. He's covered in blood. He comes back a couple hours later. He's got a little Band-Aid on there. That's it. Nothing major. We, uh, we had worse than a Band-Aid when my dad dealt with us. But anyway, that's not what they were doing. They pounded him with rocks until he died. Uh, verse 28, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their, their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, so Saul will later become the apostle Paul. So I know you're thinking, well, Saul was there and they just kind of, they said, hey, hold our coats while we kill this guy. And he just stood there not knowing, no, 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 look at chapter eight, verse one. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Look at him in the Greek. Saul orchestrated the whole thing. So here's Saul, the, will become the Apostle Paul. The first time we meet him, he is getting a crowd riled up to kill a follower of Jesus simply because he's a follower of Jesus. Stephen, of course, was the first martyr. He's dragged out of the city and stoned to death all because of Paul. The guy that wrote Philippians 3, the guy that said everything's dumb compared to knowing Jesus, was the one who orchestrated Saul, Stephen's death. But it gets worse. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So now Saul's not a soldier in the army of Jerusalem or, or the Jews, and they say, Saul, we need you to go to Damascus. No, Saul volunteers. Saul hates Jesus so much. He hates his followers so much that he goes to the high priest and says, hey, I got Stephen stoned, but if you'll give me some letters, I'll go to Damascus and I'll round up every single one of them, men, women, children, and I'll drag them back here so we can kill them all. He volunteered for this duty. That's the guy who said, I gladly give up everything to worship Jesus more. You think he had some things in his past he had to forget about? You think he had some, some issues that he thought, how could God love me when I did that to his children? He had some past he had to get over. His hatred for Jesus and his followers for so, was so strong that he volunteers to persecute them. So years later, when writing Philippians about how to be the man God wants you to be, 
he says, you got to forget about your past. You got to forget about the things you did back then because they'll hold you back from your relationship with God. Your past, your past failures, your past sins, the past hurts that have been done to you, that is not your sin, but someone else's sin has hurt you. Your past does not determine your present or your future unless you let it. Unless you allow it to have the power of you. Paul had shame, but he decided to forget about it. You know how he could forget about it? Because God, when he got saved, God chose to forget about it. God says every single sin you've ever had, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you are committing now and every sin you're going to commit later, God said, I've taken them, I died for them, I shed my blood for them, I rose again for them, and I put them in this year of forgetfulness where I will choose not to bring them up against you ever again. No matter how, you think, but you don't know how bad my sin is. Look, any of y'all ever... Get a crowd together to stone a guy to death just because he was different religion than you? Please don't raise your hands. Any of y'all ever said, I'm going to go to this city. I'm going I'm to get men and women and children. I don't care who they are. I'm going to drag them out of that city. I'm going to stone them and kill them because I don't like who they believe in. None of us have done that. Now, look, your sin may be bad. But if you accept Christ as your Savior, it's white as snow. And God has said, I will never bring it up to you again. So what, what about those times where that sin comes up in our mind and it's brought up? It's not God, that's the enemy. That's the enemy coming to you and when you want to do something for God, the enemy's saying, ah, do you really think God's going to like you after you did that? Hey, you remember what you did six, seven, 10, 12 years ago? Hey, you know what you did last night? Do you really think that's the type of person God likes? I think you just better stay clear of God for a while. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy. The enemy makes you feel shame. The Holy Spirit makes you feel conviction to get right with God. The Holy Spirit makes you, the, the, the enemy makes you feel shame about it. Maybe you've been hurt by someone. Maybe you're scared of the future because this, year's been, this has been a hard year for you. Paul says to forget about what is in the past. You can't change it, and you shouldn't allow it to determine your future. Now, maybe what you're struggling with is living off of what God did 10 years ago. Look, nostalgia is the greatest enemy of the present. And we look back and say, man, 10 years ago, I was right with God and, and man, this was going on and this was happening. Man, God was, and we, we look back to that and Paul says, look, that's not going to help you either. Forget about all those things that are holding you back and keeping you from walking with God. Now, look, there are some things we're supposed to remember. Psalm 77, 11, David says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Look, this may have been a, a terrible year. You had a horrible time. Maybe you, you got into some sin this year. You had no idea you were going to get into and your walk with God suffered. But maybe God did some great things for you. Maybe God healed a loved one. 
Maybe God saw you saw a loved one accept Christ as your Savior. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, forget the sin that's going to hold you back, but remember the good things God has done for you. Remember how God has blessed you. Because, yeah, we've had a tough year, but again, we've had baptisms. We've had salvations. We've ministered to people. We've seen people saved. So, yeah, we're going to forget the, the three months of shutting down. We're going to forget the, the things we've had to go through that are hard, but we're going to remember how God has blessed us. Remember where God has delivered you, has healed you, has blessed you, has cared for you. Forget the bad stuff. Forget the things that keep you from following God as close as possible this year. It only holds you back. Here's the second thing Paul says to do. Again, one thing, but two parts. Forget what's behind and strive for God. Again, he says that in uh, the second part of chapter 12, uh, verse 12 through 16. Now, here's what he's talking about. Getting saved is easy for you. It was hard for Jesus. Jesus had to leave heaven, come to earth, live a perfect life, die on the cross for your sins, have the wrath of God for your sins poured on him, have God, for the only time in history, turn his back on the Son and reject the Son and die for your sins and rise again to redeem your God. It was hard for Jesus, but getting saved for you is easy. You hear the gospel maybe several times, but eventually it clicks. You understand you were born an enemy of God, condemned to eternity in hell with no hope in your own power. You understand that despite you, God loved you so much that he came and did for you what you could never do. He lived a perfect life, died for your sins, and rose again so you could be redeemed to him, so you could be a part of God's family. You believe that and you put your faith in that and poof, just like that, you are saved. You are a Christian. You are a believer. Becoming a Christian is amazing. It's easy. Becoming godly is not. Now, I'm not talking about holiness because look, holiness and godliness are different things. You're as holy as Jesus is. When God looks at you, he sees you as holy as Christ. Being godly is a different thing. Being godly is obeying God's commands, living for God, walking with God, being a, a minister of God to everyone in your life, being a Christian, easy. Being a, a godly person, that's hard. It takes striving. It takes toil. It takes work. And striving is more than just pressing forward. It's more than just work. It's more than just pressing towards God and doing stuff. Striving for God, walking to be godly takes planning. Let me show you what I mean. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. How many of you understand what Paul just said there? Yeah, I didn't either. Took a lot of research, took a lot of study, because again, it just it didn't make sense to me in, the, in this, this, this wording, so I had to understand it. The word strive for the mastery is the Greek word agonizimio. I probably pronounced that wrong. Ago, nizoma, how do I, okay. Ago, ni, zomai. Okay, 
agonizomai. That's how you pronounce it in the Greek. That's strive for the mastery is that one Greek word, and it talks about an athlete. But not like you were in high school. I know some of you are like, I was an athlete in high school. I played football linebacker. Not what he's talking about. Look, I played linebacker in high school. I would have gone pro if I wasn't any good, but I wasn't. So he's not talking about me. He's not talking about you. He is talking, this word literally talks about the men who would participate in the ancient Olympic games that Rome and Greek, Greece would hold every single, every, every four years. These Olympic games started back in 776 BC. Today's equivalent is a professional athlete, an Olympic athlete, a professional basketball player, a professional football player. These athletes, these type of athletes, they have the self-discipline to build every aspect of their life around their performance in whatever game they play. What they eat, how much they sleep, how they exercise, everything they do is designed to have peak performance in their realm of athletic competition. And they, they do that, Paul says, for a corruptible crown. Whether it's a gold medal or a championship ring, it's corruptible. It's temporary. Paul says we should have the same consuming passion about walking with God because what we pursue is eternal. Let's keep reading 26. It says, I therefore so run, man, I hate that. I don't want to run. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Paul's not saying join a gym this year and work really hard. That's not what he's talking about. Thank God for that. Here's what he's saying. I run but not for physical gain, but for an incorruptible relationship with God. I box, but I'm not just beating the air. I'm not just shadow boxing or punching on a, a bag. I am fighting for spiritual victory. I work to discipline my body. I work to discipline my flesh so I don't fall away. So I don't get cold in my walk and my relationship with God. Paul's saying that his goal to become the man he wants to be, the Philippians 3 man, it doesn't happen by happenstance. It doesn't happen just because. He has to plan it. He has to plan how he's going to get closer to God and work that plan. He knows where he needs to grow. He knows where he wants to be, and he fights the enemies that are keeping him off that path. He doesn't just go to church and hope for the best. He doesn't just go to a growth group and hope everything works out. He, he, doesn't, he has a purpose for what he does in the pursuit of God, and he makes his flesh, he makes his, his desires a slave to reach that goal. He puts as much effort in his walk with God as professional athletes put in their pursuit of greatness or a ring or a crown. I wish I could do that. I wish I had that dedication, but I, 
I struggle like that. And I, I, you know, you know, I try to be as honest with you as I can about my struggles. I can't be as honest as I'd like to be because some of you, if I was that honest, would never come back or wouldn't handle it. So I, you know, I, I try to be as open as I can be, but that's why I love Paul. What he's saying sounds great. What he's saying sounds incredibly spiritual. But he's just saying, that's what I want to be. But man, I struggle every day to do it. Man, I struggle every day to achieve what I want to do. Remember Philippians chapter 3.12? I haven't arrived there yet. I want to be there, but I'm not there yet. But I'm trying. I keep going. I may take one step forward and two steps back, but you know what? I take another step forward. I keep trying to go. Remember what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1? He said that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The Apostle Paul, the greatest New Testament Christian, the worst sinner, that means there's hope for me. I'm not perfect, but neither was he. I struggle. I get depressed. I get anxious. I get frustrated. I get angry in spirit. And you know what I, want, what I do in those times? You know what I, when I get frustrated and angry and, I, and anxious and I'm unsure and I'm nervous, you know what I do? I go pick up a six pack of donuts and I'll eat them in my car and April will say, why'd you eat six donuts? Cause I was anxious. That's how I deal with it. I eat my anxiety. I'm very anxious, obviously. I eat my feelings. You know what I want to do? I want to zone out and watch some TV. I want to ignore everything. I want to shut the world out. I want to shut God out. I just want to numb everything and not think about anything at all. I want donuts. I want Snickers. I want cereal or barbecue or hot dogs or chips. I don't run to God. I know I should, but I don't. I run to other things. What I need is Christ. What I need is to press in and pray. What I need is to sit down and throw my life at his feet. What I need is to confess that once again, God, I took control of my life and I made a mess of it, God. I ruined it once again. I blew it. I drove it off a cliff. And that's the last thing I want to do. That's the last thing I do. Paul says, this is what my flesh wants, but it's not what it needs. So I don't run aimlessly. I know where I'm going. I know the enemies of where I want to be, and I fight them. I don't fight on myself. I have a goal and a plan to get there. You know, Friday's January 1st. On Friday, millions of people are going to wake up with goals for the new year. Read more, get in shape, whatever. Most are going to fail because they don't have a plan to achieve their goal. They're going to plan to get in shape, join the gym, go to the gym, have no idea how to use the equipment, spend a few weeks there, and then never go back. Why? Because they didn't have a plan and they didn't have a partner. So they, they fail. As believers, we should all want to be the type of man that Paul said he wanted to be in Philippians 3. We should want to know God more, but we need a plan Saying you're going to read the Bible more this year is not a plan. Saying you want to read the Bible more this year and then picking a Bible reading plan and then picking someone to keep you accountable to make sure you're reading your Bible and make sure you're helping them read their Bible, that's a plan. 
I want to pray more, so I'm going to, I'm going to pray more this year. No, you're not. You need a plan. When are you going to pray? Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to have in your life that's going to have the freedom to come and say, hey, how's your prayer life going? Have you been praying? And you can be honest with them and say, nah, I hadn't prayed this week. And they can get you back on track. Who are you going to have help you? That's why Paul said, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. We need to go to people and say, hey, look, I, I, I just, I want to do this, but I stink at this. Can you help me do this? And have someone that loves us enough to not judge us, do not say, I can't believe you struggle with that, you pitiful Christian. But they love us enough to say, you know what, I struggle with that too. Let's help each other. Let's do what we can. You need to have a plan and a partner to say that. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, if you just say, I'm going to read the Bible more, I'm going to pray more, you're, gonna, you're not going to do it. I'm not saying it to be hateful. I'm saying it because I've done it. I know it doesn't work. Pick a plan, pick a devotion, pick a partner to help you train in your walk with God. You know why the best athletes in the world are the best athletes in the world? Because they have plans and they have someone to make sure they stick to their plan. A coach, a manager, someone that makes sure they stick to their plan. Their entire life is planned around being the best. You know why most Christians are not very good Christians? Because we don't have plans. We don't have partners. Our life with God is not planned out at all. We just hope it works out. And guess what? It doesn't. This year has been a hard one. And I hope and I pray that next year is a thousand times better. But I don't know if it's going to be. I do know a couple things. I know God's still in control. I know God's still on the throne, and this world is still under his control. And I know God still has a work for us to do. I know that because we're still here, and there's still people out there. We can't guarantee that next year will be better. But we can decide to be closer to God and be better used by God this upcoming year. It's going to take us forgetting what's held us back. The pain, the sin, the disappointments, and strive to be closer to God, to know him more, to feel his presence more, to be used by him more. But it's going to take work, and it's going to take effort, and it's going to take striving. Are we willing to do the work? Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace. Our church is growing and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in or would like more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit us online at reachingroanoke.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a blessed day.